raise your hand if you've ever been lost. All right, the few of you that did not raise your hand, you need to go back and listen to last week's message about being humble <laughs> and honest about yourself. We've all been lost. We've all been lost. So at the very least, we've all taken a wrong turn and headed the wrong direction, at least for a little bit. And maybe you're the kind of person that you can almost immediately realize that you're going in the wrong direction. But whenever you recognize that you're lost or you're headed in the wrong direction, you're not headed the direction that you want to go, you're not headed to the place that you need to get to, what do you need to do? You need to turn around. You need to make a change. You need to head back in the right direction. And this passage tells the people of God to do that very thing. When they are lost, when they find themselves surrounded by the enemy, when they find themselves in the middle of famine, when they find themselves in the middle of pestilence or a pandemic, they should humble themselves, pray and seek God's face, and turn from their wicked ways. Let's, let's read that verse together. 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. That's what we're looking at right now. We've talked about the desperate need that we have for God to heal our land. That we are definitely in the time where this passage of scripture applies. Last week we looked at if God's people will humble themselves. Today we're going to focus on turning from our wicked ways. Turning from our wicked ways. You know the word there, ways, is the word for a path or road. It's the way that you went when you wanted to get somewhere. It's the path that you took. And for the people then, it wouldn't have been interstates and highways and roads and avenues. It would have been paths and, and, and roads that had been formed as people took their journeys multiple times over and over again. And it might have been as large as a road that had been formed as people headed from different places in the kingdom to Jerusalem. Or it might have been the path that was formed as they walked repeatedly from their house out into the fields or from their house out into their barn. But it was a way that had been established. You've probably heard someone say, oh, it's only about five miles as the crow flies. And what that means is if you don't take roads and if you could just go directly there... It's about five miles away. But if you take roads, it's probably going to be like six or seven miles. Because there's not a road that leads directly from where you're at to that spot. You can't take a road directly from here to my house. You need to take Fifth Street to the highway, highway to Old Boonville Highway. You've got to take a couple of turns. You've got to take those paths. They are established roads that make, us po make it possible for us to get where we need to go. The problem is... That the paths, the roads, the ways of doing things that have been firmly established in our world are not holy. They are ways of sin. And they might be roads that lots of people take. And they might be roads that are well-traveled. They might be roads that are easy to take. But they're ways of sin. Now, I recognize that it's a very good thing that we have road systems. I'm glad that when I want to go to my house, I don't just take off straight as an arrow because I drive through several people's houses and through their fields and it'd be dangerous. We need roads to kind of channel everybody in the right direction. But if the roads or the way or the patterns of life 
in this life have been established in ways or paths of sin, we need to repent of those wicked roads. We need to repent of those wicked ways. What if the system of this life, the paths that we take all of the time, what if they're wicked? This passage is plural. And it's speaking specifically to the nation of Israel. If my people who are called by my name will turn from their wicked ways. I believe that there is systemized, incorporated sin. I believe that there is programmed sin into the ways, the pathways of our nation. I believe that we have laws that are written around our selfishness and our wickedness and our sinfulness. And those need to be changed to heal our land. But the way that that change is brought is not by taking over the system. The way that that change is brought is not by writing new laws to force everyone into the roads or the patterns that we think that they should be in. Rather, the way is through personal repentance. We need to turn from our wicked ways. You see, we often avoid guilt by deflecting guilt on everyone else. It's not our fault, it's the government. It's not our fault, it's culture. It's not our fault, it's society. When in reality, the government, society, our culture is all just the conglomeration of all of our personal decisions. I remember during like our shelter in place order. You know, there were a lot of people who were upset that there were some people who weren't keeping to the shelter in place orders. And they were saying, you're making it impossible for the rest of us to go back to normal. But there was a little bit of hypocrisy in that because some people who were posting things like that online, I knew personally were going to yard sales. We're breaking the shelter in place. They were upset at people who were going to parties and going to get-togethers, but they were attending family socials. And it's so much easier for us to see the sin in culture or in everybody else than in ourselves. That was the reason that we talked about humility. We have to recognize that it starts with us. The decisions of our culture are just the conglomeration of our individual choices. So the way that it changes is a change in our individual decisions and choices and ways of life. You see, corporate renewal begins with personal renewal. National renewal begins with personal renewal. Church renewal begins with personal renewal. Mark Sarah says it like this, revival is when personal renewal goes viral. Revival is when personal renewal goes viral. Someone once asked Gypsy Smith, who was this evangelist in in, in Britain and in the United States and the end of the 18th century into the 19th century. And somebody asked him, how do you start revival? He said, it's very simple. Go home and go into your bedroom. Take a piece of chalk and draw a three-foot circle on the floor in your bedroom. Step into the circle that you've drawn and ask God to start revival in the circle. You're asking God to start it in you. Revival starts with personal renewal. Revival is what happens when personal renewal goes viral. Another way to use that word way in the passage, it's a path that's been trod, it's a path that's been worn. 
It's from regular use. What it is, is it's a habit. You have habits. You have good habits and bad habits. And God has gifted us with, with this system of habits so that we don't have to constantly be thinking about every little thing that we do. We can kind of, kind of put some things into autopilot while we focus on more important things. But sometimes these habits lead us astray. Just this past week, I was at my house and I needed to go to Chandler Auto Parts, which is on the border of Chandler and Boonville. They were about to close, and so I was hurrying to get there before they closed. I was knowing, like, I'm, I'm in a hurry to get there. I'm thinking about the fact that I need this part, that they're about to close. And I turned down Fifth Street and pulled into the church parking lot. Because I just always do that when I come into Chandler. While I was in the very moment of thinking about I needed to get there before they closed, the habit took over. Habits things that we've done for all of our lives, things that we've done just because we've always done them, what if they are evil patterns? What if they are evil roads that we're constantly going down? This passage tells us to turn from our wicked ways, to turn from the wicked patterns in our life, to turn from the wicked things that we do, perhaps not even with, without even realizing that we are doing them. Falling in the traps. We must turn from wickedness. And wickedness and turning from wickedness, repentance from wickedness, is not just stopping it. It's doing something different. See, repentance is a process, not an event. Repentance is a process, not an event. If you realize that you're going the wrong direction and you turn around... You're not suddenly at the place you were going once you make the U-turn. You've got a long ways to go. You might have to backtrack a good ways to make up for the bad choices, the bad turns you've made along the way. When you make the, return, the U-turn, you're just starting on the road back to where you need to be. And when you make a U-turn, you're not suddenly there. You're just getting started. And repentance is the same. And the life of the believer, repentance is just the beginning it's turning from going west and starting the process of going east. You see, I'm afraid that we think of repentance as this event that took place years ago when we came to Christ and repentance is over. Repentance is this moment that takes place, but there are these ongoing effects of repentance. It's the difference between going to a prom and going to your own wedding. If you went to prom when you were in high school, I didn't go to prom because I went to a Christian school and we don't dance in Christian school, so we had a banquet. You go to prom, it's an event, it's a moment, it's something that happens. And unless it's just an incredible prom, your life is not forever altered. You go back to school the next Monday. Life returns to normal. But when you go to your own wedding, you get married, life is forever altered after that. You might go back to the same job, you might go back to the same school the following Monday. But you're now a husband or a wife. You have this lifelong commitment that you've made. It's made a forever change in who you are. And repentance is not this event that happens and then it's over. Repentance is this event that happens and it continually makes this change in us. 
John the Baptist put it this way. In Matthew 3.8, he said, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. In other words, after you've repented, there will be these effects, this impact, this fruit that comes about in your life that shows that repentance has taken place. Can I be honest with you? I tremble in fear that some of you have no fruit of repentance in your lives. You claim to be a Christian and you check all of the boxes of church attendance and conservative values and outward displays of morality, but there is no desire for the things of God in your heart, in your life. You put on the face of a Christian, but you live selfishly, constantly taking advantage of others, seeing what you can get out of them. You have to be cajoled and forced and motivated to read God's not word. There is no inner motivation in you for that. Brian Sheffel said in the documentary, American Christianity, American Gospel, he said that he found himself as a preacher constantly trying to convince people to do what they needed to do even though they didn't want to do it. And he said trying to convince people to do what they don't want to do is an incredibly tiring task. Some of you know this, your parents. And as a preacher, I cannot constantly force you, push you, motivate you to do the things that you don't want to do. But if there's been repentance in your life, I won't have to force you or convince you or cajole you to do these things. There will be this desire in your heart to do them. And Alice in Wonderland, there's this moment where Alice asks the cat at the fork in the road, which way should I go? And the cat said, where do you want to go? And Alice said, well, I don't know where I want to go. And he said, then it doesn't matter which path you take. If you don't have a place that you're going, if you don't have a destination in mind, it doesn't matter what path you take. It doesn't matter which road you go on. It doesn't matter which way you pursue. But if we desire to be like Christ, to follow Jesus, if we have repented from our sin and want to follow him, the road should always be the road that makes us more like Christ, that makes us more like him. So hear me in this. You do not need to try harder to make the right choices. You do not need to run faster. You just need to see clearly the truth of the gospel in Christ Jesus. This passage says, turn from your wicked ways. It also tells us to seek the Lord. The picture that is being given here is we are turning from our wicked ways to Jesus. When I was in college, I was blessed with the opportunity to do a 10-week internship in the summer in Colorado. If you ever have the opportunity to go to Colorado for 10 weeks, I highly recommend it, especially in the summer. It's beautiful. I landed in this town where I had never really been for any length of period of time before. I was working with this church. They had a car that they loaned me the time that I was there. And you know what? I never got lost while I was there. It's not because I'm just so great with directions. It's because in Greeley, Colorado, on the front range plain, wherever you're at in town, you can see the Rocky Mountains to the west. And so no matter how turned around you might get, no matter where you were at in a neighborhood doing some ministry or a visit or whatever, you could always see, well, that's the direction of west because there are the mountains. And the church was on the western edge of town. So if I just headed for the mountains... I'd get where I needed to go. 
because the mountains were this always in the right spot orientation, I never got lost. And if Jesus Christ is the orientation of our lives, we will never get lost. We will always know the right direction to take. Now Israel most likely thought that they were holy. After all, God is speaking to the people who are, take, have taken his name. My people who are called by my name. Look at how the Pharisees reacted when Jesus arrived. They thought that they were holy. They were offended that Jesus compared them to the harlots and the thieves. You see, what they were constantly orienting themselves to was if they were better than everyone else. And if we are constantly orienting ourselves to everyone else, that is a, a, a point that never stays the same. It is always changing. It would be like deciding that you will determine if you're going the right direction based upon the location of your rearview mirror in your car. It will turn wherever you face. We need a fixed point of orientation. And that orientation is Jesus Christ Jesus is the standard against we should, which we should measure ourselves. We should not ask ourselves, am I holier than most people? Am I holier than my friends? Am I better than my neighbors? That is meaningless. The comparison should be, am I headed towards Jesus? Am I headed towards Jesus? And when we do that, we will recognize that we are not righteous. We will readily accept verses of scripture like Romans 3.10 that says there is none righteous, no, not one. We will affirm Psalm 51.5 that says I was born in iniquity. But if we don't, we will live out what we find in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5 that says the people in the end times will have the appearance of godliness without the power thereof. Remember, Jesus said to us in Matthew 5, 48, Be ye holy as the Lord your God is holy, or be ye perfect as the Lord your God is perfect. Has anybody applied that verse yet? Is anybody here perfect? No. So when we recognize that Jesus is the point of orientation... We recognize that Jesus is the comparison, that we should be holy as he is holy. We recognize our wickedness. And it is very clear to us that we must turn from this wickedness to follow Christ. Now we need to be very careful here. Because this passage of scripture says that if we will humble ourselves, pray and seek God's face, and turn from our wicked ways, that God will heal our land. But we cannot choose to follow Jesus so that we get healed land. The healing of our land is a byproduct of turning to Jesus. But the motivation, the reward of turning to Jesus is Jesus. It's him. Why do you think the Israelite people ended up, end up going after idols? They didn't make the decision to follow after idols because they wanted to wreck their lives. They followed after idols because they believed that the idols would give them great harvests. That the idols would give them fertility. That the idols would give them victory over their enemies. They still were the people of God, but they thought, well, if we, if we worship this idol, then we will also have this great harvest. 
And if we only follow Jesus for the benefits that come from following Jesus, we're not following Jesus, we're following the benefits. And we will follow them wherever they go. And in a time where following Jesus is difficult and hard, we will abandon it as we seek for the benefits elsewhere. They worship the idols because of the myth that the idols would give them a good harvest. And right now, all around us, there are many new idols or new gods that are willing to promise that if we follow after them, they will give us what our heart desires. You know, Satan never dresses it up like, hey, take this path, you'll abandon God and choose destruction. You know, he always paints it as a beautiful picture. I mean, even beer commercials now to portray a good time with their brand of alcohol is going to bring you beautiful women, lots of friends, and a great time. They never show AA meetings in a beer commercial. Why? Because no one will buy their product. And Satan knows well and good that if he dangles these things out in front of us, that we will follow after it. If we follow Christ, blessing does come. So does persecution and difficulty and hardship. And people lying about you and saying things that are cruel. So we don't follow Jesus for those things. We follow Jesus for Jesus. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, if they'll get honest about who they are, if they'll seek my face, if they'll point themselves towards me, and turn from their wicked ways. And if the passage ended there, it would be appropriate for us to apply it. When was the last time that you repented of some wicked way or pattern in your life? When was the last time the process of repentance made a difference in who you are, brought about transformation, is repentance just something you did years ago? Or is it a pattern, a way of life? Let's bow our heads forward a prayer.